Good morning, this is Greg Grasso with Chapter 1. I usually listen to folks like Tavis Smiley, uh, who we're going to be talking to today. Um, and I listen to uh, these intelligent individuals because I usually get the truth, not a bunch of fluff, which is what I've been hearing and seeing on the uh, uh, throughout the media uh, for many, many years. Anyway, I've got Tavis Smiley on with, with me this morning. He has a new book uh, called The Covenant with Black America. I'm glad to be on with you, Greg. Thanks for the opportunity. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Um, so listen, man, uh, I'm a fan of yours. Uh, I like uh, everything about you, the way you talk, the answers uh, that you give, and especially the questions you ask. So I, I want to start off with uh, you telling us uh, what the Covenant with Black America is all about, and, uh, and then we'll get into some uh, questions, okay? Sure. In short order, in 2006, we put out a book called The Covenant with Black America that laid out, Greg, the 10 most critical and crucial issues facing black Americans, from health to education to the economy, the digital divide to reclaiming our democracy, criminal justice, the environment. The top 10 issues facing African Americans were the uh, subject matter of this text 10 years ago. That text made history by becoming... Uh, a number one New York Times bestseller stayed on the list for many, many weeks and went on to become the basis for two presidential debates uh, in 2007. A year after its release, there was a debate of all the Democrats, uh, a primetime debate on PBS that I moderated, and all the Republicans met us at Morgan State in uh, Baltimore for another primetime debate. So when the Democrats showed up at Howard, I mean, we're talking Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, John Edwards, everybody showed up for those two debates back in 2007. Here we are now, 10 years after the publication of this text, 2016, and it was important to go back and to look at the data, do the research, and to see what the narrative would tell us about the state of black America, the conditions, rather, in black America a decade later. And Sadly, um, I have to, to say that uh, it's not a pretty picture. Ten years after this historic book, laying out a national plan of action for how to make black America better, we are now, um, a decade later, uh, looking at a community that's fallen behind, that's lost ground in every major economic category. In every major economic category, we've lost ground. And many people, I suspect, are asking, how is that possible in the era of the first black president that black people could see the bottom fall out economically, politically, and socially, to be sure the historians are going to have a field day uh, trying to juxtapose those two realities. For now, we have to take stock of where we are and figure out how do we turn the tide against what's, um, what's ailing black America. And because I love my community, I love my, I love my country, but I love my community, I love my people, uh, I had to write this book and put it together 10 years later so people could get a real clear picture of where we are 10 years later what the missed opportunities were, what we can do now to get on the right track before it's too late. Listen, man, I'm 62. I was raised in New England, okay? Integrated, integrated uh, school. My father was in the military, come from a military family. Uh, color was never an issue. Uh, my dad was an architect, uh, construction family, worked hard, all that stuff. And growing up in the 60s and, and early 70s before I went into the service, um, there was no line with me. My parents instilled that everyone on this planet is equal. 
especially here in America. Uh, this 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 mm-hmm. country was built on on immigrants, but. Um, you know, it's always fascinated me about the relationship between the white and the black man. I, I just don't understand it. Ten years later, after you wrote the first book, nothing's changed. And in some cases, it's gotten a lot worse. And I just don't get it. I don't understand why people can't wake up and see what the heck's going on in this country. It, it's, yeah, it's, race is not, sadly, race is not just a personal reality. It's not just a human reality. It's a political reality. I know. Uh, put another way, race is a, is a political construct. Uh, and while we have ideals that we profess and maybe even aspire to every now and again, um, not with consistency, but in appropriate moments we espouse these ideals we believe in and we might work toward them for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't. We we can't seem to uh, to turn the turn the corner. Um, we can't seem to revel, much less celebrate, but revel in the humanity and the dignity and the sanctity of all life. And we could talk about black folk, and we are talking about black folk on the publication of this text, The Covenant, ten years later. We're talking about the state of black America, but this issue that I'm raising now about the sanctity of life. is not just about black life; it's about all life. Because just like I am outraged by cops who get away with killing black boys and black men. I'm just as outraged by people who walk into churches and kill black people in churches, but I'm just as outraged by people who walk into schools and kill little white kids. Um, And something is wrong in America when you can walk into a school and kill any kid, much less a bunch of white kids, and get away with it. Uh, And we can't get a real conversation. By getting away with it, I mean we can't seem to get a real conversation about sensible, reasonable gun laws in this country. So this is not just a black issue. This is an American catastrophe that we're about to experience. If we can't figure out to place, figure out a way to place the proper value that ought to be placed on the sanctity, the humanity, and dignity of all life. So yes, Black Lives Matter, um, but we're at a, you know, we're at a, we're at a critical place in the future of this country. And I just don't. I shudder to think what happens. If we can't get our bearings straight, the country's kind of like we're kind of like rudderless right now. Mm-hmm. That's not a good place to be, just drifting. And we've got to um, we've got to have some real conversation about these issues and put a, put together a plan that addresses them. And that's what, at least regarding the black community, this book, The Covenant, ten years later, is all about: laying out a plan that we can exercise our agency around to uh, to make Black America a better place to live and work. Tavis, in your mind, what's the what's the root of the problem? Are we as humans are we not put together correctly to allow, to understand, to be mm-hmm. compassionate? I think we come into the world just fine mm-hmm. and then we get corrupted. Kids don't come into the world racist. Right. They get taught that. They right. learn that. They get conditioned in that way. Uh, and so we come into the world just fine. I believe um, I happen to be a, a Christian and I don't mean to proselytize, but I gotta answer your question the best way that I can answer it. I trust, I don't believe God makes mistakes. And so we come into the world and we're just fine. We get conditioned. Racism is a learned behavior. Xenophobia is a learned behavior. Homophobia is a learned behavior. We come into the world just fine and we get all screwed up. So I don't want to blame our creator for that. You know, that's that old, we can have a whole conversation about is it nature, is it nurture, you know. But my thing is that when you live in a society, you live in a world where people do not believe that all life has equal value, that all life is precious, that I am no better than you and that you are no better than I am. When we live in a world where people don't, they don't believe that and they start making distinctions based upon class or race or some other orientation or factor, 
you got a problem. And that's why what this country is lacking more than anything else is real moral leadership. We've got some political leadership, not much. You've got corporate leadership. You've got leaders in all kinds of arenas. But we're lacking the kind of moral authority, the kind of moral voices that challenge us to find our better angels. And um, that's why we celebrate Dr. King every year, because King was one of those moral voices that helped us to to wrestle with trying to find uh, our better angels. And so I say to my own people, to black people, where this book is concerned, The Covenant, 10 years later, that we can't hold other people accountable if we're not going to first hold ourselves responsible. So on this book and all the issues in it, health, education, the environment, etc., etc., it's true that it's not either or but both and. On all these issues, it's not either or but both and. That is to say, it's not either responsibility or accountability, but both. We've got to hold ourselves responsible, hold other people accountable. Uh, but it all starts with, you know, what you value, what do you believe matters. And if you think that white life is more important than black life, if you think that rich life is more important than poor life, or that you know urban life is more important than suburban life, or whatever these constructs are that we create, then you, you start at a false place and you can't end up, you can't, my grandmother started saying, you can't end up right having started out wrong. <laughs> you know, you were obviously taught principles, values. I was taught, you know, growing up, um, give of yourself, you know, help, help someone who needs some help try to live as as right as you can but here's where i see a huge problem i've been looking at this for decades i don't know whether it's fear or what it is or ego but we're we're not sitting down exactly what you said earlier we're not sitting down and talking about problems we're not looking at what our educational system um how how the media uh exploits everything um all the crap that's said, you know, about our government, our president. Heck, we even have a president that was the first black man in history, and yet I haven't seen him do anything on a personal level, or I haven't seen – you haven't even interviewed him, huh? I mean, I know you've asked uh, the president to, to come on the show, but, I mean, the fact that he won't even talk to you? <laughs> I, well, I, yeah, I, I've, uh, <laughs> I've, known him, I've known him for a lot of years. And I, I still call him a friend, mm-hmm. um, and I, I've interviewed him countless times over the course of his running to get to the White House. But once he got elected, we haven't had a conversation, at least not on camera. Right. And some of that has to do, I think, with the kinds of questions he knows that I that I want to pose. And, you know, you, you don't want to address certain issues, and you, you, you go certain places. So he's entitled to that. I'm not, I'm not crying about his not talking to me. I mean, I'm only responding to it because you asked, because I don't, I don't think about it. I clearly don't lose any sleep about it, and it certainly doesn't stop me from doing the work that I'm doing. Um, And I don't think the president has to interview with me to prove a point or to prove anything. What I prefer, if he never talks to me again, that's okay. What I prefer is that we have leaders who are serious about the issues, because it's not not some personal agenda that I have uh, beyond the fact that I, I love my people. And when you love people, you hate seeing them suffer. You hate seeing them rendered invisible. You hate seeing them marginalized and exploited and taken for granted and treated as an afterthought. You hate seeing that done to your people when you love them. And so you want everybody to be held accountable to the best interest of your people. You you will check anybody who's pushing an agenda that's antithetical to the best interest of your people. So it's not about Republican, Democrat, black, white, male, female. If Hillary gets in and, and, and doesn't step her game up, I'm going to be pushing her too. So it's not personal for me in that sense. It's about trying to make sure that, that people are treated with the respect and dignity that they deserve. And when I look at my people, and I've invested, you know, my life trying to do, you know, my part, my small part to, to help them out. And I write a book 10 years ago, and I look up a decade later, and in every key category, we have lost ground. Yeah. You can imagine how 
you know, disappointing and pressing that is, but what you do is you, you commit yourself to being faithful unto death. And you get you, you, you write the book, you dress with the data, you shed a couple of tears and and you get out and you start trying to do ten years later what you were doing ten years ago, and that is beating the drum, sounding the alarm, pick your metaphor, but by any means necessary, you try to get the word out that we have work to do, and I hope that you'll join me in this work um, to try to make uh, make Black America better. There you have it, and that's what I'm doing, and I hmm. thank you, as always, for the chance to uh, talk to you about it. Tavis, I could spend another hour with you. Um, there's so many questions I have. One quick one, because I think we're about two minutes sure. away, but one very, is there hope for mankind, Ooh. Tavis? Good question, good question, good question. And the answer is yes, 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 yes. If we didn't have hope, we'd be we'd be miserable. Um, <laughs> I, I make this distinction all the time, and so you ask it, I'll give you my, my succinct answer, I hope. I am not an optimist. Optimism suggests that there is a particular set of facts, circumstances, or conditions Optimism says there's something you can see, feel, or touch that gives you reason to believe that things are going to get better. On this question, and even on the question of, you know, on the question of Black America and its future, and more broadly on the question you asked about all of humanity, sometimes the data doesn't give us reason to be optimistic. But I am eternally a prisoner of hope. I believe you can build a whole life on just hope. I built my life on hope. I started with nothing. I built a whole life on a hope. But I also believe that for so many fellow citizens these days, hope needs help. And I hope that this book will be a help in the sense that it lays out a plan, it lays out prescriptions, it lays out what every individual can do, what leaders can do, what uh, what we can do public policy-wise. It lays out an agenda with attendant pieces that will help us advance the agenda to make black America, as I said, better, and people no longer have to continue living beneath their privilege. So I am eternally, to answer your question, a prisoner of hope, and I remain hopeful that we will see the light. But having said that, I also know that at some point, Greg, if we don't see the light, we're going to feel the heat. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess the only thing we can do is teach our children, um, embrace our kids, embrace our family and friends, try to emulate uh, our morals, our values uh, through the acts that we do in life. And uh, hopefully one day uh, mankind will turn around. It's, uh, it's getting a little scary out there. Uh, it's, it's a little it's a little tricky, but uh, that's why we're here trying to spread the good news that we can do better. We all have agency, and we have to, we have to always remain hopeful. I mean, as a black American, very quickly, you know, as, as difficult as it is to write this book ten years later and to lay out, you know, where we've missed opportunities, there are still chances to get it right. Number one, and number two, I'm a black man. My my people went through slavery, they went through segregation, they went through Jim Crow, they went through Jane Crow. You know, we are clearly better off than we were 100, 200 years ago. Now, the ultimate question is, how do we stack up today against white people today? But I do have a, a con- I'm part of a continuum that says to me that progress can be made when people get serious about it. So that is why you remain hopeful, not to mention that uh, you owe it to your ancestors, to all those people that, that, that paved the way, built the bridge for you to get over, for all those folks on whose shoulders you stand, you owe it to them. I owe a debt to my ancestors that I can never repay. But every day of my life, until my last breath, I'll do my part to at least make a down payment on it. And I'm going to get off the phone with you and get on to making my down payment. <laughs> Greg, thank you for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation immensely, my friend. You take care, stay strong, and have a great 2016. You too, Savas. Thank you very much. Thanks, brother. Be well now. Yes, sir. Bye-bye.